it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! to a Monday edition of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this hot and scorched earth Monday afternoon. And before we get our show started, just want to take this time out to dedicate today's show and really the rest of this week's show to one of our co-workers here cat certain passed away on yesterday of course cat one of the founders of our sister station here on wnsp 105.5 always enjoyed listening to him on sunday mornings during his sunday jazz brunch and cat was very passionate about music that's what made him smile and ultimately he will be tremendously missed by everyone here at 1100 Dolphin Street. So want to go ahead and dedicate today's show to Cat Certain. And Cat, always with a smile on his face and positive words of affirmation. And I've only worked here for six months, but had an opportunity to bump into Cat with Pigskin Pete on Friday nights as he worked very late nights and just, again, was very passionate. So to Cat Certain's family and friends and everyone here within our office at WNSP and 92 Zoo and the Crab and the Soul, just want to let everyone know how much we're going to miss you, Cat, how much we loved your brother, and this show and this week's final drive is definitely dedicated to you. On a positive note, you can always download the free Sound of Mobile app to where you can correspond with us on the app. And you can do that as we're getting ready to go into high school football season, of course, college and NFL talk. We love to hear from you, whether it's on the opening kickoff, the final drive or any of our shows. You can correspond with us on that free downloadable Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device that you may have and don't forget coming up here in a couple of weeks we will be celebrating our 30th anniversary fall football preview party at heroes off of hillcrest where you can register to win a leather recliner valued at over $1,800 from Barrow Fine Furniture so you want to make sure that you show up Thursday August the 17th 
for the final drive to where we'll have our entire cast and crew of all our shows here on WNSP that will be present in our fall lineup. You don't want to miss that opportunity to interact with us. We'll have giveaways, T-shirts, and, of course, you can register to win that $1,800 Barrow Fine Furniture Recliner. Michael Bronner, I know it's a hot one out there in Mobile, Alabama today, and I know – to me, it's even too hot to swing the golf clubs, hmm. and it's all—it's all you know. The heat index hits you at a hundred degrees almost at six or seven o'clock at nighttime. Yeah, I, I tried to uh, hit some balls on a on Saturday afternoon, and it, it was at that rare category of too hot to even hit golf balls. I, I, I do have to say real quick before we start talking about sports on on cat. Yeah, man, I was shocked and, and saddened to to hear that news yesterday. Uh, you know, in my brief year here uh you know if if cat was ever in here and you you got into a conversation with cat it was it was never a never a dull moment in a in a conversation with cat man he was very passionate about the stuff he loved and and that is music but he, he's a guy who could really talk to you about anything and uh you know you'd get in a long conversation with cat and you'd you'd always be amazed by his wisdom on on any number of things man so was very sad to to hear that yesterday and uh you know condolences to his family and friends of course and and we're certainly going to miss him here no doubt about it and of course on friday evening the breaking news was really conference realignment and how everything was going to go down within these conferences and it's a total different landscape i know off of the air Bronner, you and I were talking a little bit about SEC media days, of course, to talk with Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC here in 2024. But if you were to tell me that the Pac-12 would only consist of the Pac-4 two weeks later, I would say no way. And how's that going to happen? Yeah, the Pac-4 now about to be the Pac-2, apparently, with Cal and Stanford. You know, just your typical Atlantic Coast teams, apparently talking to the ACC. I don't know. It's a mess, man. It, it, it's uh, it's a complete and utter mess. It, it's more than a mess, Bronner. I mean, you, you've taken a conference that's been established since 1915, and what you've done is you've imploded it. Imagine trying to say the Southeastern Conference would love to change its name or would love to, to, to be associated with a different type of conference affiliation. I, I mean, it just wouldn't happen. I mean, because now what you're looking at, what really makes me scratch my head is geographically, when you're looking at sports outside of football, and I mentioned this on Friday, you're playing football games once a week, but outside of playing football once a week in outside of your other sports now you're looking at what about your softball what about your baseball what about your golf and your tennis and you're looking at traveling some 1300 miles really when you look at it totally you're traveling back and forth so what about those student athletes that are playing two and three times a week not just once a week and, and I think what pretty much summed it up in a nutshell was Missouri's head coach who did a phenomenal job speaking upon the student athlete. Yeah, Coach Drinkwitz, who, who he catches a lot of flack. I th a lot of people, uh, you know, think he's, he's kind of 
I don't know what the word is. He's kind of dweeby and, and, and nerdy, and he doesn't recruit very well. Missouri's not very good. But I, I think everyone unanimously loved what Coach Drinkwitz had to say on, you know, thinking about the other sports outside of football. Because like you said, you know, football's going to be fine no matter what. Uh, football's not going to struggle even through this line. I'm sure there might be some hiccups, but, you know, your baseballs, your softballs, your tennis, your golf, your guys that are playing multiple times a week and – you know, I don't think they were really considered in these realignment decisions. And, uh, you know, he certainly had had a passionate little little three-minute monologue on that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go ahead and play that. All right, I'm going to say it. I thought the transfer window, I thought the portal was closed. Uh, oh, that's just for the student athletes. The adults in the room get to do whatever they want, apparently. And it's um, – you know, it's just sad that there's um, – look, I, I, my question is, did we count the cost? I'm not talking about a financial cost. I'm talking about did we count the cost for the student-athletes involved in this decision? What cost is it to those student-athletes? We're talking about a football decision. They based off football. But what about softball and baseball who have to travel cross-country? Do we ask about the cost to them? Do we know what the number one indicator of, uh, of symptom of, or cause of mental health is? It's lack of rest and sleep. Traveling in those baseball, softball games, you know, those, those people, they travel commercial. They get done playing at four. They got to go to the airport. They come back. It's three or four in the morning. They got to go to class. I mean, did we ask any of them? Are we going to look back? I, I don't worry at all about the game. The game is going to be strong. Football is going to be fine. We'll all figure it out. But did we consider the people that we are entrusted with? Did we consider the student athlete? Because then we're asking them to go out on their own to get NIL. We didn't say we're going to revenue share. We're not saying they're getting a piece of it. So that, that's the thing that's bothering me right now in this whole situation is we keep trying to limit what the student athlete can do, but then we act on our own. And uh, everybody's got their own reasons, um, uh, and, and I'm not questioning any of those. I'm saying as a collective group, have we asked ourselves, what's it going to cost the student-athletes? I saw um, on Twitter several student-athletes talking about one of the reasons they chose their school was so that their parents didn't have to travel. They chose a local school so that they could be regionally associated so their parents could watch them play and not have to travel. Did we ask them if they wanted to travel from the East Coast to the West Coast? Man, you know, I love the game. But every game that I coach, I look up in the stands and find my family. I make sure they can play. I make sure they can be there because that's what I'm doing this for. And, and you're talking about volleyball, baseball, softball, track. I mean, all, all those other sports, man, they don't get – they're not fortunate in – to travel like the way we do, football be fine. Football be fine. It's still we count the cost of the collateral damage of everybody else. I don't know. I, only time will tell. But that is my biggest, like, looking at it going 24 hours after, say, did we really think about that? I don't think we did. Um, I don't think we did. I think he summed it up perfectly. And I will put personal exclamation points behind what he said because you can't have – a conference that's existed since 1915 to automatically almost disappear within almost a week and a half's time. Uh, what kind of thought process was put into that? I think that the president's 
can say that it's not about the dollar signs. It's not about the dollar and cents. Well, how is it not about the dollar and cents when you're looking for more revenue sharing? When there is a billion dollar contract that's going to be extended. Now, go do the math on this geographically. If the ACC is looking to add Cal and Stanford, the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, we already have the Big Ten and their new realignments in the Big Ten. But when you look at what the Pac-12 used to be called or what the Big 12 used to be called, I know that that's one of the, the bigger questions is what do you want to name these new conferences because you you definitely don't want to put a number by them because they're continuing to expand and grow so you can't put a regional on it you can't put a region on it southeastern conference of course you can because again you look at oklahoma and texas all right i'm still I, i will buy that oklahoma not necessarily being in the south but as far as your arm and reach the name for these super conferences don't have a problem with the super conferences themselves, but I I have a problem when you don't ask the student athletes when they're not taken into account. And I think that when you put revenue ahead, like, like coach Drinkowitz said, revenue sharing out of this billion dollar deal, is that coming for these student athletes? Absolutely not. Uh, Do you weigh the cost of the student athletes' mental health? Absolutely you did not because there's no way that a a conference that's been in existence since 1915 folds. And I, I just, when you look at the expansion of the college football playoffs, that's great, but it's going to have to be readjusted and realigned. Bowl affiliations, of course, are going to have to be readjusted and realigned. And these bowl championship games or these bowl games in general, when those contracts are signed, they're, they're for two and three years at a time. It's not just on a year-to-year basis. So that's something that you really have to look at it. And, again, we'd love to hear and, and get your thoughts in the app as well. Said Someone in the app says, let's face it, five years from now, there will be no conferences. If there is, it will be like American and National League and baseball, a few crossover games, but the winner of each will play in a championship game. Well, I, I think that you will definitely – see something like that as well because if you have three power conferences and you're sitting at 20 to 22 schools in each power conference then you're going to have to find a way and and I don't know necessarily that of course all of this is football driven because I I found it real funny on Friday Rick Pitino of course our, our good buddy who used to coach at Kentucky and Louisville and is now at St. John's, he says college football is taking over. Well, I got news for you, Coach. College football has always taken over. And, and basketball in Kentucky's state, in Indiana's state, is king. But probably in another 46 states, football is what is going to be the cash cow, and it's what generates the most money. Yes, you could probably put twenty-five to 30,000 people in Rupp Arena, every single home game that you have. But where else across the country can you do that? So Rick Patino saying that, 
college football has taken over. Yes, it's taken over. But the the dissolution of these conferences is simply amazing to me. And, again, two weeks ago, if you were to sit here and tell me that you don't have the Pac-12 in play or you would only have four teams and if Cal and Stanford join the ACC, what are you going to rename the ACC? The Atlantic Coast Conference, someone in the app, Big Ten equals TAC, Trans-America Conference. Absolutely. You're getting on a flight, and you're going to have to travel 1,500 miles. Now, if I want to go see my son or daughter, there's not going to be extra money for me to go see my son or daughter play except in the local games because I know some parents, they go and see their child play in every single game because – Everything's within a 350 to 400 mile radius. But I don't think anybody wants to drive across the country or can afford to fly across the country to go see their child play in two West Coast games when they're living on the East Coast. It's just not feasible. And I think that's where the television deals come into effect, Michael Bronner. But to see an entire conference just disappear, can't say I didn't see it coming but not this quickly for sure. Yeah, I mean, once uh, USC and UCLA bolted for the Big Ten, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall in terms of, you know, how is the Pac-12 going to survive long-term without their two biggest brands, and then, you know, Oregon and Washington bolt too, and then, you know, who's left at that point. So we'll see what ultimately happens where the remaining, you know, now it's now it's going to be the Pac-2, uh, which is obviously not a feasible conference, so we'll see exactly what happens there. But again, the student-athletes, wh- where has their... Where has there been a, a, a poll about what you want? What's best for them? No, there hasn't. And, and, and I don't think that, that there's been any thought about that. And Eli Drinkowitz, kudos to him for calling everyone to the carpet on it. Like you said, there's no problem with expansion, but let's do it in a feasible manner to where we're getting the opinion of those that matter, those that are making our games, which are the student athletes. And we'll hear from Coach Saban and his thoughts about rivalries and where he feels the state of college football is as well on the other side of this break here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP. Back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you on this sizzling hot Monday afternoon. And, of course, we were talking about conference realignment prior to going to the break. And Nick Saban asked about what he feels about conference realignment. And the biggest thing about conference realignment, too, are rivalries. And Nick Saban chimed in about how he felt about rivalries. Look, I did not hear what anybody's comments have been about this. Um, Look, there's a lot of traditions that we've had for a long time in college football, and uh, I think we're in a time of evolution for whatever reasons. Um, And some of those traditions are going to get sort of pushed by the wayside, I think. And it's sad. Um, 
whether it's good, bad, or indifferent for college football, I guess you have to define what is good, bad, what is good and bad for college football. So um, I think one thing I would just hope that we would keep in mind in all the choices and decisions we make relative to what we do in college athletics is the student athlete. Um, they're here to get an education. We want to try to help them develop careers on and off the field. Uh, and hopefully some of the choices and decisions that we make for college athletics in the future will impact them in a positive way. And I hope that we can keep that as a priority in terms of um, whatever we decide to do uh, in the future of college football and college athletics. All right. Well, Coach Saban, again, preaching about the student athlete. And again, kudos to Coach Saban and Coach Drinkowitz looking at the student athlete first. And I will say Greg Sankey has been strong about when asked an approach because I said, imagine the SEC adding a Miami or a Florida State or North Carolina or Georgia Tech. And Commissioner Sankey has been clear. Look, the addition of Oklahoma – and Texas is where we are. We're at 16. Now, when you look here in about maybe four years, four to five years, when that contract is up for renewal, I think that's a possible possibility of expansion. But right now, the SEC sitting with the addition of Oklahoma and Texas, and that's it. You're not going to see other teams come into the SEC anytime soon. That's why it's so weird when you start thinking about the ACC adding Cal and Stanford, and why wouldn't the Southeastern Conference want to add teams like Miami or North Carolina or Georgia Tech or Florida State? Of course, yes, geographically it makes sense, but Nick Saban mentioned it. Being sad about losing your robberies year in and year out, I, I, could, I couldn't imagine the day where Alabama and Auburn don't play one another. I, I just couldn't see it. And whether I know we had that huge fuss about going from the eight game model to the nine game schedule. Imagine either you're going to play more games, which I don't think is great for college football. But when you take away, Bronner, what Saban says, Coach Saban says about being sad and putting the student athlete first again, no arguments there. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever have to worry about the day that Alabama and Auburn don't play. I, I, I would I would hope that that's going to be preserved. But, you know, I, I do get the fear. I, I mean, I, I think it's maybe a little bit of an overreaction with the, you know, traditions of college football. I mean, I don't know. Like, do, it, does it really matter that Oregon and Washington are playing in the Big Ten instead of the Pac-12? I get it. You know, people are sentimental and, and wh whatever word you want to put on it. I, I don't know. The... The whole realignment thing, I think it's being made into a bigger deal than it is, quite honestly. But, you know, ultimately the best the best four teams or best 12 teams, I guess, as we're still yeah. going to be the ones standing at the end of it. So I agree with the best 12 teams. But for those that want to see your Oklahoma-Nebraska matchups, sure. that, that, that doesn't happen because I know Oklahoma-Nebraska means nothing to your generation, absolutely nothing. But you ask anybody who's in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, or 70 years old, and they'll say, look, Oklahoma, Nebraska, man, that's where it was, and, and that's where it is. I mean, same thing with Auburn and Georgia. If you look at possibly breaking up 
the Deep South's oldest rivalry. You hate to miss out on that as well. And, of course, plenty of Alabama and Auburn football going on as both teams officially started fall practice. Tony Sakalis, we heard from the coordinators from the University of Alabama for our first and only time until they make it to the postseason. Tony Sakalis can fill us in on that. And Alabama and Auburn both had some big-time recruiting news over the weekend. But we'll talk to Tony Sakalis next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Monday afternoon. And if you have not done so, make sure you download the free Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device that you may have. You're able to correspond with us here on the app during high school football season, college football season, the NFL season, to the opening kickoff, to the final drive. We love hearing from you. And you can always call us the old-fashioned way as well, 251-694-1055. And one of the busiest weekends for the Alabama Crimson Tide football team of the entire year because you start fall practice, you turn around, and then you have your fan day on Saturday. You have the brand-new grass that has been installed at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And then you look at also both of the offensive and defensive coordinators talking to the media for the only time until they go ahead and appear in a bowl game. And Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated, was right in the thick of things, not only in Coach Saban's initial press conference on Thursday, but also in what went on on media day. And Tony, how's it going, my friend? How's it going, Corey? I'm I'm doing pretty well. I actually uh, I I missed out on Fan Day. Uh, I had one of those dreaded fall weddings. I guess if you can call it a fall <laughs> wedding, I, at least they had the decency of getting it done, uh, you know, before uh, before football season. But uh, it was it was a great event uh, over in Montgomery. So I, but I, I did I did miss on Fan Day. We did have someone there, so I, I know a lot. But. Uh, it was still a really busy weekend for me as well. Absolutely. I mean, whether it's the wedding, and you're right, someone did do you a courtesy by go ahead and, and getting married prior to the start of college football. And, you know, it's one of those situations from the Alabama Crimson Tide and, and Coach Nick Saban when he spoke to the media on yesterday. Of course, it, it's hot, and you can't run from that. Across the southeast, it's hot. But the players came out on that new Bermuda grass at Bryant-Denny Stadium on Saturday. Everyone had an opportunity to witness that. Of course, the lines to get Coach Saban's autograph were very long. But yesterday during his press conference, really didn't say anything that was earth-shattering that he hasn't said before because the topics of discussion are always about the quarterbacks. But the depth and the ability for the team to eliminate mental errors are a focus of Coach Saban. That seems to be like an early theme, and the, the you know the the price of mistakes, and you know um, you know kind of just preparation in general. Um, I, I think that that's going to be, or the, the uh, sorry, it was the price of uh, 
bad habits uh, is what he said. And I think that that's going to be a, uh, a theme overall. I think, you know, and it's not a surprising theme, but uh, it's something that around this time of year, you really want to focus on doing things the right way. And one of the things that Nick Saban pointed out about that was, you know, the last season, you know, you, it came down to a, a bunch of close plays. I and mean, Alabama was able to survive some of those, but they also lost both their games on really just one player here or there. Uh, and I think what Nick Saban is trying to stress to his players is if you prepare the right way, you'll be ready for those plays. And more often than not, you'll be on the winning side of those plays. And that could have been the difference last year. If they were a little bit more prepared for, I don't know, let's say the, the LSU two-point conversion, right? I mean, it, you know, you stop that play, you win that game, and all of a sudden you probably have a chance to, to play uh, Georgia in the SEC championship game, and who knows you know, how that would have turned out. So um, it's interesting. I'll look, you know, and I think that that preparation is, is so key. Obviously there's a lot that goes into it, you know, but uh, I, I think right now the biggest thing for Alabama, I mean, they're not even in full pass, is just getting that mindset right, getting that you know, process, if you will, right. Yeah, the process is always going to be important for Coach Saban. And you look at today, the mentality of the offensive line, whether it's J.C. Latham or, again, today, Tyler Booker, just making, saying, we want to make people quit. And I love that mentality and that attitude that if that's how you're going to approach handling business in the trenches with the deep running back stable that Alabama does have this year, it's going to help the inexperienced quarterback tremendously. Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, uh, it, you know, I joked with uh, Tyler Booker, you know, uh, yesterday, Tommy Reese said that, you know, and he said this a lot in the past too, that if he didn't play quarterback in college, he would be, a, he would like to be a, a pulling guard. Well, Tyler Booker, you know, <laughs> said that he didn't think his offensive coordinator had quite the frame for that on the same hand. Tommy Reese has got that mentality, and it's the same mentality that you heard from Tyler Booker and, and J.C. Latham and the whole line of they want to play that physical brand of football. And I think, you know, if I'm an offensive lineman at Alabama, that's exactly what I want to hear. You know, so often you get, you know, offensive coordinators that's, you know, more interested in the quarterbacks or more. It seems like Tommy Reese has that, you know, I would want to be an offensive lineman for him and his offense and, you know, and kind of establish the identity he wants to establish. And, you know, I think Tommy Reese said it himself, he's not going to make a wholesale change on offense. I don't expect Alabama to just run straight eye formation, three yards in a cloud of dust. But I do think that they're going to bring a more physical nature. They're going to put more emphasis on getting those, you know, third and shorts, fourth and shorts, uh, and being that dominant team, that Alabama team, where when they march out on a third and one, you almost, you know, can just go ahead and move the chains because they're they're going to get the, the yards they need. Um, I think Alabama's kind of fallen away from that. You know, I think they only made, if I remember right, like 60% of those plays last year, and that was, you know, in the bottom half of the SEC. Uh, they got to get back towards where those are almost near automatic. And I think guys like Tyler Booker, guys like J.C. Latham are going to provide that push up front to allow that to happen. Tony, it's not like Nick Saban has said anything to indicate this, and, you know, maybe open practice-wise didn't super strongly indicate it, but am I wrong in getting the feeling that it kind of feels like Ty Simpson is maybe starting to pull ahead a little bit in this quarterback race? 
I hate that I didn't get to see the open practice because I would have been able to kind of make that assumption. But from everybody that I've met or, you know, that like, you know, even my colleagues that have been there, they didn't say that there was that much of a separation. I have kind of changed my inner prediction to, to Ty Simpson after I think, you know, before you guys have asked me, I said I might give it, you know, 34% Jalen Miro. I kind of am leaning towards Ty Simpson just from what I've heard from, you know, our sources behind the scenes. Um, but I don't necessarily think that you know Nick Saban has said anything to indicate that it would be going towards Ty. I'm making that decision really more based though on like what I'm hearing, and it's just becoming more and more. It's harder and harder to I guess ignore the buzz around Ty Simpson. That being said, I mean, geez, if I was gonna go, I might go you know forty now percent Ty Simpson, um, you know. And then 30 for the other two. You know, I, I, I don't really – it's still not the, – the needle's not totally moved to one side. I just think that I'm to the point where I, I think it's a little bit less than one-third, 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 like I've been saying. I, I, think, I think Ty Simpson might have that slight edge just from what I'm hearing, though. Would you be surprised if, say, Jalen Milrow were to be the first quarterback out there against MTSU and then obviously that were to change the next week against Texas? So that's where I, that's where I kind of differ, and that was the reason why I was picking Milrow. I don't think it's as easy to get you know to, to Milrow to start against MTSU and then just assume that he's just not going to have a good game against what's going to be a pretty you know you know overmatched team. So so what happens in that situation if you give Milrow the thing and he the, the, the start and he does pretty well? Do you take it away from him because it was just like? You know, oh, you know, that wasn't a serious game. Now we're going to put in a serious, quote-unquote, serious quarterback. I mean, and I'm not sure – I'm not saying that's the way Alabama's thinking. But it's just kind of weird. If you do give Noah that start, you'd almost assume that he's going to do well, and then you'd probably assume that he's going to start against Texas. If you do well against Middle Tennessee State, right? Um, that, that being said, you know, Nick Saban did talk about their – you know, the, the competition waging on uh, even after maybe a starter's name. It's going to be interesting. I, I just really wouldn't be surprised if Ty Simpson, if he, you know, does really well. His first scrimmage is coming up next weekend, or the, sorry, this weekend, and uh, I think you know um, he could win it out, you know, by by Middle Tennessee State as well, or or Tyler Buckner could do it. You know, I, I think, um, but I, I'm almost hesitant uh, to just believe that Alabama is going to start Jalen Milrow just because he's a veteran and they're going to let him play the first game and then they're going to make a, a switch to someone else i, I kind of think that guy that starts game one is probably going to start game two and that's why i think it's important that the right person wins it out of camp because i don't think texas is necessarily a team you can just kind of throw three or four quarterbacks at or you know, two or three quarterbacks at. i i think you're going to want to know your guy and so um It'll be interesting to see kind of how that emerges. I think in, a, in an ideal world, you don't, you don't want to make that switch during the season. I know Nick Saban said that, but you want to find that guy from game one and kind of ride him out. We're speaking with Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated of Rivals and, of course, with practice heating up. One of the things I love hearing from the coordinators is you're going to be able to have those clips or those sound bites that you're able to use here for the next couple of weeks. And I think with the new offensive coordinator and Tommy Rees, with him saying they're spoiled at the running back position, I can't argue with him as far as what the type of depth. Anytime you have five healthy backs that are able to play the game, yeah, I would I would think you would be spoiled at that position. 
Yeah, five top hundred recruits in you know in their respective classes as well. Uh, it's a really e- extremely talented group. Um, Nick Saban talked about having four kind of really good backs. He's not counting Richard Young, and it's not because he doesn't have confidence in Richard Young, the, the true freshman summer enrollee. It's because he is a summer enrollee, and it's just kind of hard to expect someone to get acclimated that fast. But, you know, I think by the end of the season, Alabama will have five really good options. Um, I think one of the things, if you kind of read between the lines what Saban said, is he'd mentioned that in the past they've used up to three running backs in the primary rotation. I, I don't think that's necessarily him putting a number, but I think three is a good number to look at. I, you know, I know there's four, but the, I think the competition there becomes a, what's your, what's your going to be the, which three are going to be the, the primary three, you know, and um, it, it could get really interesting because when you look at those four that Nick Saban listed, I think you definitely take Jace McClellan and he's automatically in that rotation and he's probably the starter. I, I'd be really surprised if, if he wasn't the starting running back. So let's put him at number one in the depth chart. I think two, three, and four is a dead heap even between Roydell Williams, Jam Miller, and Justice Haynes. And I think, you know, um, talent-wise, I think Justice Haynes might be the top of that group. But then, you know, you go experience-wise, uh, yeah, Roydell Williams is the senior. So you, you think that maybe he gets the edge. And then Jam Miller, I mean, uh, every time he came in last year, I granted it was, you know, mop-up duty, but he looked extremely like a, the hardest runner, and he actually led all Alabama backs in yards per carry last year. So between those three, it's really hard to pick two. Uh, I don't think that there'll be four. Now, one thing I will preface that with is injuries happen, and, you know, maybe the three comes, you know, Maybe it's still a, a primary three, but it's not always the same primary three because if somebody gets banged up, let's say Jason McClellan gets banged up, then all of a sudden whoever was number two goes to number one, and then everyone goes up a peg, and all of a sudden, you know, now you have your three. But uh, I, it's going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty intense between you know who gets carries because I don't think you really have enough carries in a game to give four backs. Uh, all you know, equal carries. I mean, that's, I think at that point you're cheating guys like Gabe McClellan, who probably deserves a little bit more than other people. I agree with you on that. And to me, the elephant in the room for this Alabama Crimson Tide 2023 team are the penalties that have to be addressed. The third most penalized school in the country a year ago, and that's never a good thing, but when you have the accountability of people like Deontay Lawson saying, look, we're focusing more on the mental errors and everyone doing their job, I don't think we'll see a highly penalized Alabama team as the season progresses on. Well, I have to go back and look at the exact numbers, but we talked to Malachi Moore today, and basically if you make a mistake in practice, you got to do 10 up-downs, and I think if you make another mistake, it kind of like rolls over, and like if you make too many mistakes, it's even more. It's kind of like, you know, uh, almost like a tax bracket of like mistakes. Uh, and so, you know, Alabama's putting uh, an emphasis on those kind of mental mistakes to, to avoid penalties, and it's, you know, you talked about the heat. Well, imagine, you know, making a mental mistake in the heat, and all of a sudden now it gets even hotter because you're, you're doing 10 up-downs, you know? So I think that's going to, hopefully for Alabama's sake, they'll kind of almost work their way out of those uh, 
penalties by just, you know, the extra discipline they're putting towards it this, this preseason camp. Absolutely. And, Tony, I tell you, as preseason camp and fall camp is officially here, it's hard to say fall camp, like you say, a fall wedding. But it is what it is in regards to where the football season does lay on the calendar. And, Tony, if people want to chime in and get more knowledge, that daily dose of Alabama Crimson Tide that people so dearly want to know, how can people follow your tremendous and outstanding coverage of Alabama? Yeah, check out the Champions Lounge um, on Alabama uh, or on TideIllustrated.com, or you can go to Alabama.Rivals.com. Uh, we got a really cool, you know, community over there, and it's really worth checking out. <laughs> We're right in the heat of the season now, so between the recruiting news and, and then the team news is not going to stop. Uh, there's there's going to always be new nuggets and, and, and information on that board. So definitely go over there, check us out, um, kind of join in for discussions just like this. And uh, it's a really good time. Absolutely. And again, Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tile Illustrated of Rivals. You can check him out on Twitter as well and follow all of his great coverages day to day. Things change in Tuscaloosa as we get ready for September 2nd. Can't thank you enough, Tony, for joining us and look forward to talking to you again next week. Yep. See you next week. Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated of Rivals, joining us again, talking about the depth chart, the penalties, the offensive and defensive coordinators that had an opportunity to speak to the media. We'll come back and we'll put the finishing touches on our number one of this Monday edition of the final drive here on WNSP. Andrew Bell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSD 105.5. 105.5. Corey Labounty, joined by my producer Michael Bronner on this very, very hot and humid Monday afternoon. Want to thank everyone for tuning in and thank Tony Sakalis from Tide Illustrated for joining us in that last segment to get us caught up on what's going on in Tuscaloosa. And of course, over the weekend, a big time commitment for the Auburn Tigers. Jalewis Solomon, a four-star cornerback. He commits to Auburn. He's from the state of Georgia, and that's huge for Hugh Freeze and the Auburn Tigers. Of course, the number one prospect in the country, K.J. Bolden, he decides to go ahead and go to Florida State, choosing the Seminoles over Auburn, Georgia, and Alabama. And Alabama was able to get a big-time recruit in Amari Jefferson. He chose the Crimson Tide over Georgia and Tennessee. And Amari Jefferson will be that difference maker from the wide receiver standpoint for Alabama class of 2024. So he'll have an opportunity to come into Tuscaloosa and make a difference. But the Crimson Tide, after having some 2024 commits or recruits, decide to go elsewhere big time get for Alabama and Nick Saban yeah Amar Jefferson was huge especially after the Perry Thompson flip it, it was definitely more of a 
need than a want, which is crazy to say for an Alabama recruiting class, which, by the way, still does sit at just ninth overall in the country for the class of 2024. After the Thompson flip, now Jefferson is, I believe, only the third wide receiver in the class as a whole. Saw something that uh, Amari had said, you know, Nick Saban pretty much told him, you know, we don't just want you, Amari, we need you. Uh, it's hard to say no to Nick Saban when he says something like that to you. He's also a really good baseball player. He was a high baseball recruit before he was a football recruit. So he's committed to Alabama. He was committed to Tennessee to play baseball uh, and then kind of burst onto the scene uh, with the big junior year. And Yeah, we'll see what happens, but certainly a uh, big land for both Alabama football and Alabama baseball. Absolutely. As we get ready to go into our number two here of the final drive, I, I want to recap what we talked about in the first couple of segments here on the final drive. And again, that's the, these conferences where you have these young kids who are making decisions on their name, image and likeness and the amount of money that they can receive. What's wrong when the 17, 18 and 19 year old does it versus when the university presidents and athletic directors decide to do it? What's the difference? I, I see no difference. And you start to see more and more coaches chime in about it, not knocking their athletic directors and the presidents for making that monetary decisions. But if the presidents and athletic directors are going to do it, then absolutely these young student athletes who make the NCAA up should be able to do it as well. Hour number two of the final drive coming up here next. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you on this sizzling hot Monday afternoon. And, of course, we want to dedicate this show and the rest of this week's show to one of our fallen comrades here at the station at 92 Zoo, Cat Certain. Again, you know him. For putting on the Sunday Jazz Brunch. He passed away unexpectedly on yesterday and want to wish his family and friends and, of course, everyone here at 1100 Dolphin Street the best in trying to get past and remember Cat Certain as he meant so much not only to the music community here in Mobile, but music is definitely what made Cat happy. He always had a smile on his face and he lit up a room when you started talking music with Cat Certain. So we definitely want to dedicate today's final drive to our fallen colleague, Cat Certain. And, of course, on a better note, WNSP's 
30th anniversary fall football preview party will be held at Heroes on August the 17th. That's the Heroes off of Hillcrest. And you can come join us to check out our fall football preview and kind of mingle with us all, talk with us all, register to win a $1,800 recliner from Barrow Fine Furniture. You don't want to miss on the opportunity to register to win that along with an opportunity to to get some prizes and some giveaways from WNSP. That's going to be August the 17th, the final drive from 3 to 6 at Heroes right off of Hillcrest. And you don't want to miss that opportunity for sure. You know, when you look at one of the things that go into when college football season starts, there's always going to be polls, whether it's the media poll, whether it's the AP poll, whether it's the coaches poll. Alabama comes in ranked number three in the poll that came out today. And I, I think that right where you would expect them to be behind Georgia, behind Michigan, of course, Ohio State comes in at number four, LSU at number five. And what's interesting to me is you have five versus eight, LSU versus FSU that is coming up here in week number one of college football. So you're going to have an opportunity real quick to see how good Florida State actually is. Are they the real deal? Or is Brian Kelly telling the truth and he feels better in year number two than he did in year number one? Yeah, so Alabama, they got some home schedule this year, man. Preseason polls, and it's the coaches' poll, not the AP, but, you know, what does it really matter? Preseason polls, they have home games against number 5, 10, 12, and 22, all in the preseason poll, all at Bryant-Denny Stadium against Alabama. Man, what a home schedule it is at Bryant-Denny this year. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be hard to, to find a ticket in Tuscaloosa with the exception of the Middle Tennessee game for sure. But I, I think that as far as Alabama receiving four first-place votes, I, I, I don't know what coaches said Alabama. I, I guess that's assuming that, look, we're just affiliated with the saving standard and with what Alabama always does because Alabama finishes at number five officially last year in the coaches' poll when it did end. So Bama coming in number three without a proven quarterback or with question marks being at quarterback. LSU, again, not picked to win the SEC West by the media. But then this is the coaches' poll, and Alabama is at number three. And I, I think when you look throughout the top 25, one of the things that really piqued my interest was, of course, one of South Alabama's opponents coming in to open up the season at number 23, and that's Tulane. So Tulane and the Green Wave are going to try to roll over South Alabama in their own stadium at Tulane. And if that doesn't give you a reason to, to be focused and be hungry for South Alabama in your opening game, knowing that you're going to come off with an opportunity to defeat a top 25 opponent, that's what you want to see. Yeah, I believe that spread is right around a touchdown in favor of Tulane right now. And we'll, we'll see if South Alabama can go on the road and pull off the upset. To double back on you for a second, uh, yeah, so... You know, Alabama sits at number three, no established quarterback, did get a couple first-place votes. I mean, 
take these preseason polls with a big old grain of salt. I, I think it's going to look quite a bit different at the end of the season than it does at the beginning of the season. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to go back and look, but if I'm not mistaken, Alabama, after losing the national championship to Georgia in 2021, came in at preseason number one, in large part because they had Bryce Young coming back. I mean, and we see how we see how last season goes by Alabama standards. Was a was a bad and a failure of a season. So yeah, Georgia obviously has a question mark, I guess, at quarterback, but they also won back-to-back national championships with Stetson Bennett. There's every chance in the world that Carson Beck is better than Stetson Bennett. There's certainly questions to be answered at the quarterback position across the SEC. Obviously, that conversation kind of starts with Alabama. Uh, but, you know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. I think Tennessee could be really good with Joe Milton. So Tennessee is sitting at what, preseason number 10? Yeah, Tennessee is definitely one of those teams that they are at number 10 in your coaches poll, your top 25 coaches poll. Of course, I mentioned Ohio State at four, LSU at five, Southern California at six, Penn State at seven, Florida State at eight, Clemson at nine, and Tennessee at 10. So the respect is definitely there. And Texas A&M comes in at 25, and that's a Jimbo Fisher team that where if I'm paying my coach $10 million a year, I definitely don't want the opportunity to be coming in a poll ranked at number 25. I don't want that at all. I want an opportunity to really come in probably top 10 if you're getting paid $10 million a year to coach a team. But with Texas A&M specifically, I think that you're going to have an opportunity to hear from Bobby Petrino here momentarily and coach Petrino being that former head coach in the Southeastern Conference, knowing what it takes. But Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher, a lot of people said they're not going to be able to coincide with one another. They're not going to be able to work together. Where there's a reason that Jimbo Fisher hired Bobby Petrino to come to Texas A&M. And Bobby Petrino chimed in and knows what his role is. You know, I've, I've read or heard or I've had people send me things about, you know, you and Coach Fisher getting along, da-da-da. Um, that's not really how it works, okay? Coach is the boss, all right? I'm, my job is to try to keep him happy and make sure that everything works, you know, the way he wants it to work. Um, I understand that more than probably anybody because of the number of years that I've been the head coach. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun, you know. Uh, coach is a ball coach, and the ability to go in the meeting room and watch video and listen to his uh, philosophies and his techniques and fundamentals. Um, I've improved a lot as a coach, and my knowledge has improved a lot as a coach just in the short time that I've been here. And that being one of Bobby Petrino chiming in on what it's going to mean to work with Jimbo Fisher. Now, again, the fact that our good friend Damian Craig, hashtag 251, is continue to be on that staff it I, I will say this preseason polls are meant to be a thermometer just to get the temperature of where you're going to sit not a thermostat because what you want to set it on is where you want to stay and I think there's a huge d- difference between a, th- a thermometer and a thermostat and it, it just kind of gives us a, a, a little bit of a reading 
on where teams are, are expected and kind of a gauge to where, all right, well, if I'm preseason coaches number 25 and I finish at number seven, well, I, you know, I, I did a great job of, of overachieving or, or knowing that my team was better than what someone else thought they were going to be. And then again, if you start at number five and you finish outside of the top 25, it can be viewed as a colossal failure. So there are different ways to, to look at how you gauge preseason polls, whether they come from coaches, whether they come from the media. Either way it goes, it's a, it's a great gauge. Yeah, Bobby Petrino is certainly doing his best to, uh, I guess, downplay his role in the Texas A&M offense, isn't he? I mean, that's certainly one of the more fascinating storylines to monitor in the SEC this season. You know, what kind of impact is Petrino going to have on Jimbo Fisher, you know, it, what's the fit between Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino? And, you know, he says that's not really how it works. You know, I'm, I'm here to keep him happy, basically. You know, what kind of role he has in the offense and influence he has on play call. I mean, Jimbo Fisher really hired him to take the pressure off himself. I mean, because the noise has been so loud because, let's face it, offensive specialist Jimbo Fisher has had terrible offenses the past couple of years. Uh, really has had terrible offenses since Jameis Winston. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. That's a conversation for another day. The fraudulence of Jimbo Fisher, we can get into that on another day. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, they, they should be better on offense. They're such, they have such talent on that roster. There's, there's no excuse for them to be as bad as they were. Uh, I think you can't not say that Fisher is on the hot seat a little bit at least. I mean, if they go five and seven again, I mean, I think at a certain point those uh, those Texas boosters and those that oil money, they're just well. You, you've seen coaches for get bought out for four years and get paid fifty million dollars. I think this would for, be a record buyout. Oh, I like, mean, it was a record contract. Yeah, when, when he comes in, I mean, outside of Nick Saban, what you're being paid to produce. Uh, of course, if you go five and seven or if you go six and six, to me, you're in a situation to where people are going to be starting to sure. to say, look, I, Jimbo's not the man for the job. But as far as teams climbing that, that preseason pole, if you're looking at LSU and Florida State five versus eight to open up the season. Of course, in week two, what you're going to see is three versus 12. In week one, Texas is ranked number 12 because you have to have a loser out of that Florida State LSU game. You look at Texas, they're going to continue to climb in the polls. So you're definitely looking at a top 10 matchup when week two rolls around in Tuscaloosa and the Longhorns come to T-Town. Yeah, I'm getting more confident on that one. I'm starting to feel like Alabama's. I, I you know, we we can talk about the quarterback situation all that. No matter who the quarterback is, I, I'm starting to get a little bit more confident on the Texas game. Whereas I kind of felt throughout the off season there was a high chance that Texas was going to come in and win that game. I think Alabama. Well, not I think I know Alabama didn't play well last year against Texas. And I've said this before. If there were any other quarterback. That, that has ever worn an Alabama uniform not named Bryce Young. Alabama would have lost the game, but they didn't play well on defense. I mean, they were getting shredded. If Quinn Ewers didn't get hurt, they lose the game. Um, you know, they took some really terrible and untimely penalties. Will Anderson probably played the worst game of his career. He had a couple of personal fouls. I think that they're just going to play a lot better. Uh, Texas, Texas is going to have Quinn Ewers, assuming he's healthy. Uh, but 
No, I think I think it's a game that Alabama's going to be able to pull away in the fourth quarter and end up winning by two touchdowns. But we'll see what happens. Well, I, I love the matchups. And as far as Texas A&M is concerned, when you look at Jimbo Fisher and some of the thoughts that he's had on conference realignment, he said, unfortunately, we're in a time now everybody's fighting over the dollar. Well, Jimbo Fisher's not fighting over any dollar, any quarter, any penny. He's fighting over millions because the guaranteed buyout for him, it, it, it's all about what Jimbo Fisher is going to gain. Because if he wins, of course, the incentives and the clauses kick in for him to make even more money. If he doesn't win, he's going to go home sitting on 50 to $60 million anyway. So, again, the negative connotation that Jimbo Fisher had, unfortunately, we're dealing in a time now where everybody's fighting over the dollar. Well, yeah, that can be seen a little bit hypocritical because NIL and Texas A&M have been linked hand in hand, but definitely his contract has been linked to where there's definitely dollars attached to that contract. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. And, of course, 4.30, we have John Reschetti to keep us up to date. What's going on with the FedEx? That's gonna Is there going to be certain packages delivered to certain golfers here coming up at 4.30? We'll find out from John Reschetti at 4.30. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. And, of course, we have our intern, Tamarcus Lang, learning how to push buttons today and produced behind the glass so we want to thank him for his assistance in helping us to produce and be on the air today and don't forget wnsp's 30th anniversary fall football preview party at heroes off of hillcrest august the 17th we'll be doing the final drive from three to six and then pigskin pete will be giving us the prep spotlight from six to seven of course don't want to miss out on that opportunity to not only come and miss all or, or register to win a $1,800 recliner from Barrow Fine Furniture but also have an opportunity to meet all the talents here on WNSP and our fall lineup so that's August 17th 3 to 7 p.m. at Heroes right off at Hillcrest don't want to miss that we'll have special guests coming to meet and greet everyone as well so it's going to be a, a great opportunity for everyone to come out and join us at Heroes Sports Bar and Grill and of course also when earlier today we were talking a little bit about conference realignment and, and the geography behind conference realignment but the SEC's logo or slogan it just means more well today there was an AL.com article about the popularity of high school football in the south with the number of high school football players playing per capita and if you were looking in the entire southeast or really the entire south Bronner. 
what state would you think per capita led with the number of high school football players participating in high school football? What state? Total amount of high school football per players? Per capita. You, this is strictly in the South? In high school, yep. Does Would Texas qualify as the South? Uh, it would, yes. Then I would guess Texas. Well, he, here's what you have. As far as the participants, you definitely would look at, believe it or not, Mississippi. Really? Yeah, Mississippi, when you start looking about huh. the number of high school football players per capita now, per capita, that's the same thing with the boast and brag that Mobile, Alabama can make per capita, having more NFL players than anyone in the country sure. per capita. Uh, and, and, again, that's from a numbers standpoint. Football just means more here in the South. And, of course, with COVID hitting and there being a decline and a stoppage really in all high school athletics, there, there's been an uptick with the number of participating sports or high school athletes that want to play football. And if you had to guess what the second most played sport was in high school, according to the National Federation of High School, what, what would you think that sport would be? Basketball. Absolutely, it's basketball. Closing the gap on football just a little bit because, I mean, parents get a little bit concerned. And, again, you, you have to be truly dedicated to the game to be out there in 115, 117-degree heat index and continuing to play the game of football in high school. And it's just for the love of the game. You're not getting paid anything. There's no NIL money there for those in the South. You're just playing it strictly for the love of the game. And Alabama comes in right behind the state of Mississippi. That's why I love the border wars. When you look at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game that has been played for so many years, the amount of talent that comes out of Mississippi and Alabama alone, a great border war there because football just means more to the high school student athletes. Yeah, and you see a you see it in uh, in recruiting battles as well. You know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State try to pull put a wall around Mississippi and uh, keep their guys there. They're not as successful, you know, with Alabama and Georgia right there. Uh, but you know, you you certainly see some of the best athletes in the country come from this region. Absolutely, you do, and, and I think that that's evident of what you're seeing now. On Friday, we had an opportunity to kind of talk a little NFL football as well, and and one Jalen Wayne having an opportunity to get second life with his NFL career being cut by the Buffalo Bills, but having an opportunity along with Kenyon Drake, you look at the Colts saying, look, man, we need a running back really, really bad. And I think that the Colts are in a situation to where when you look at the versatility that Kenyon Drake can bring to your program you know, and your franchise, it's a no-brainer to go ahead and put Kenyon Drake on the Colts roster. Yeah, just ask Clemson about the versatility Kenyon yeah. Drake can bring to a roster. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and that's that's what you're starting to see a lot of. And, and I will, you know, note that Alabama did have their fan day ago. on Saturday. And not quite sure they didn't release the numbers of attendance there at Bryant-Denny for Saturday's open practice. But when you have 50,000 fans to show up for our Eagles open practice in the NFL. 50,000 at their stadium this weekend to have an opportunity to watch the Eagles have an open practice. 
man, that, that goes to speak on the Jalen Hurts and the Super Bowl syndrome that can go ahead and help your franchise from a popularity standpoint. Yeah, did you see the tweet comparing uh, the Bears and Packers attendance at the open practice? No. It was, oh, it was, a, it was a tough look for the Bears. There were, there were not a lot of people there. I mean, 50,000 people. Lambeau Field was almost full. Yeah, I, I mean, that's how it is in, in Packerland. And, and I think that as the Packers are, are getting ready to s start a new era of football without Aaron Rodgers, the excitement for Green Bay, they, they could be 0-16. Sure. They could win the Lombardi. It doesn't matter. You're going to be on a lifetime waiting list to try to get tickets inside of Lambeau Field on a regular season basis. It's just something that just doesn't happen. Uh, and, and it goes to show that with success, I guarantee if you were to ask Philadelphia, yeah, winning uh, a Super Bowl a few years ago and participating in one last year and coming up a little bit short, they didn't have this problem probably three years ago prior to, to drafting Jalen Hurts. They, they coming off a Super Bowl, I know they have this problem to where you have 50,000 people. You have to open up your stadium, not just your practice facility, but your stadium to the fans. That's big time. No doubt about it, man. The NFL is uh, is certainly king, especially especially up there. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, when I saw that you did have that many fans involved, I, I, I was very, very impressed with the number of those who decided to go ahead and show up. But we were talking a little bit about Jalen Wayne having an opportunity to be cut by the Bills and then being picked up by the Browns. Just trying to make I hadn't a roster. Seen that. You broke that news. Yeah, try, trying to make that roster. You, you love to see South Alabama guys because I know so many Cowboy fans here locally that grew up being lifelong Cowboy fans were very frustrated with the fact the way that he was underutilized. Yeah. And if you're going to draft him, you expected him to be a factor. And for whatever reason, he was not. You, you, you want Jalen Wayne to have that opportunity. If it wasn't with Buffalo, you still want him to have an opportunity to make that practice squad. And then tomorrow night, of course, the debut of NFL Hard Knocks coming on for the Jets. I got a little preview of that today on Twitter and social media with Aaron Rodgers chiming in a little bit about Zach Wilson and his throw and dialing up that, that dart that he threw. So it's going to be fun. Football is here, and, and there's a lot of reason to be excited. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, it, it really is the best time of year is upon us. It is. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty excited, man. Well, I'll tell you who's excited as well. It's John Rachetti, and John Rachetti will be joining us next here on the final drive. And, of course, he'll be talking a little bit about Justin Thomas doing everything he could to have an opportunity to play for that FedEx package and that nice trophy that they give out wasn't able to do it but there's a bigger goal for Justin Thomas outside of playing for the FedEx championship we'll get an idea of what that is from John Rachetti coming up next here on the final drive This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM.
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. It's time to bring you the golf report brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, engineered products and services. And my man, John Rachetti on the line with us this afternoon. Rachetti, how's it going, my friend? Well, uh, Corey, doing good, man. Doing good. Just chilling out a little vacay, but, uh, it's uh, all good. A lot of great stuff uh, happened yesterday in the world of golf, I thought. I mean, uh, uh, I think you look at, uh, I think, the, in my opinion, the biggest story has got to be what Bryson DeChambeau did on Live Tour, picking up his first victory. But whether you like Live or not, the scores he shot on the weekend, incredible. 61 and then a 58 in round two, which included a bogey in his round so in my eyes i think uh not to take nothing again no way from lucas glover's win uh but i think uh that is just absolutely incredible golf what uh dechambeau did uh on the weekend and uh to pick up his first live live win of the season i think it was incredible i'm still shocked about a tour player whether it's live pga tour whatever but shooting 119 over the weekend yeah that's less than 60 60 <laughs> think about it for a second folks and the greenbrier was a pga tour uh site for a long time on the pga tour so uh you gotta give credit where credit is due absolutely and you know dechambeau one of those heavy ball strikers and again you got a putt for doe too but he was able to go ahead and have his game on point now i, I will ask you this question you you look at justin thomas having an opportunity to shoot i think one over where he didn't make that he needed a 70 and may have shot a 71 or something like that but big picture him not playing for that fedex cup and having an opportunity to kind of change or embrace maybe the Ryder cup instead i mean i know if you had the to chase one of the two i think justin would tell you he would rather go ahead and, and represent the Ryder cup instead uh, 100%. He's made that he's he's made that public knowledge. And by the way, he did shoot 68 in the final round. Uh, but he did uh, he made it public knowledge that he'd rather play on a Ryder Cup team than play in the playoffs. Uh, so I don't know if that was just a little shot towards Zach Johnson or not. But uh, that's still uh, up for discussion whether he gets picked or not. I yeah, it was a gallon effort, and I don't know. I think he finished 71 on the FedEx Cup. Did you see the chip shot? He had to sink. Yeah. On the 72nd hole, it had to go in, and it rimmed off the pin. It could have easily went in. It was just a gallon effort, but uh, I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see all this pans out. I, you know, I, I, I think he's definitely going to be in the in the equation. Whether he ends up getting picked is a is a wait to is to, to to be decided. But uh, Lucas Glover played great golf. Picked up his fifth PGA Tour victory. Uh, the guys found it. He's putting a lot better, and uh, uh, just a good win for Lucas Glover. And he was outside looking in, too, uh, Corey and Bronner. He was outside looking in, and he played great golf, and he's in the playoffs, too. So, But obviously the big story in my eyes is Justin Thomas, for the first time in his career, not making the FedEx Cup playoffs, which will start this week in Memphis. John, the question is, would you – rather make the FedEx Cup playoffs or or make the Ryder Cup because we know what Justin Thomas's thoughts are on that. Me personally? Sure. Uh I would say 
I would rather be in a Ryder Cup and represent my country. Yeah. I, I mean, because let's think about it. You got plenty of money. I mean, if you're in the, if you're in the equation for a Ryder Cup or a uh, playoff, I mean, you know, I, I think money's not an object. I think I'd rather play in a Ryder Cup because I still think it's possibly the greatest sporting event of all of all sports. I mean, it is truly. If anybody has has, has been to one, you'll you'll think about it. You'll you agree. It's it's it's, it's incredible the amount of electricity and. And it's fan interaction and the players. It's just the atmosphere is, I mean, you know, I've never been to a Super Bowl, so I can't really speak, but the Ryder Cup is something special. Yeah, to follow up on that, and you know I've got to find a way to spin some Rory Slender into the conversation. Uh, I mean, the FedEx Cup, I, I don't know. I, and the reason why I bring Rory up is because, you know, he when he's asked about his major drought, he brings up the fact, like, oh, I've won four FedEx Cups or whatever the number is. I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's like, does the common – and, you know, I, I don't put you or I in the category of, like, the common casual golf fan. I think we exceed that category. But, like, the casual fan – the casual fan doesn't care about the FedEx Cup. Nah, let me tell you. Ask Brant, ask Brant Schneider if he'd rather trade his FedEx Cup in for a major and see what he tells you. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got a FedEx Cup. I mean, you know, he won it. Never won a major. He was on a, he's on the cusp of winning multiple. You ask him, pull him aside, I would bet you whatever you want to bet, he said he traded in 100% for a major. It's just clown Rory being a clown, John. <laughs> I, I will say this, too. You you look at you. We talk about money as far as what these PGA golfers are having an opportunity to do. And as the season gets ready to conclude, John Rahm winds up getting four million dollars in his PGA Tour bonus, and Scotty Scheffler gets three mil, and McElroy received two point four. Not too bad for being pretty good at golf. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you, Corey, but if you analyze this to, let's, let's talk professional sports in general, salaries, we're not talking endorsement deals or whatever else, social media deals, but just strictly salary based. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, you know, you want to talk about golfers in the scheme of things are almost underpaid. Think about the contracts that basketball guys are signing now and, and soccer, baseball. I mean, Golf is underpaid. If you really look at it from that point of view, they truly are. Uh, but uh, not saying that you know you know laugh at ten million or fifteen million dollars. But <laughs> in the scheme of some of these coming, I'm I, I'm just telling you, what it didn't the guy from the Celtics or somebody signed for like sixty million? Yeah. I don't know. Some, Guaranteed. Yeah, it, it was re- over three hundred and four million dollars total contract. Yeah, and I break that down per season. I mean, you know, they're NFL quarterbacks and so forth. So you think, I don't know what Scheffler, I, I got, he's pumping close to 20 million he's made this year. Okay, well, in the scheme of, and he's, the, you know, probably the cream of the crop as far as in professional golf. And he, if you look at the cream of the crop of the other sports, they're not on par. But how do they change it? They're, they're, they're underpaid. How do you change that? If you're, you're, your sponsorship is what drives it, how do you change it if you're the PGA? Great question. I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, I, you got to play for more money, or you got to have some bonus pool that 
you know, that you can come in. Uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, they, you know, $20 million a year, he's earned it. But he's earned it. Yeah. Like these other guys, they get paid whether they have a bad game or not. Scheffler's earned every penny he's made. Um, it's a great question, but it's just the way golf has ha- always been. And if, and if you back up to Phil Mickelson with all his, you know, all his antics and what he's saying, he, what he keeps saying about all the money the tour has and we're underpaid, you really look at it, we they are underpaid. Now, I'm not talking an average fan or, or somebody's tuned into the station today thinking, is he crazy? They're making $15 million. I agree with you. They're getting, that's a ton of money. But as far as the cream of the crop in sports in general, and you look at the top players in each sport, golf is underpaid. John, I never got a chance to ask you about this. This was now probably a week or two ago, but John Rahm had hopped on a podcast. I, I believe it was a, a Spanish podcast, so I, I didn't listen to it, but so, someone translated it. And uh, you know, one of the quotes that stuck out, you know, he was kind of talking about the live situation, and he said basically, yeah, you know, I've always enjoyed my practice rounds with Phil and Sergio, and you know, I support. I don't think those guys are coming back, the live guys, and you know, basically, I support their right to do whatever. They want. I mean, John Rahm, is there a better ambassador for the game of golf? Like, there's no, there's no one preaching togetherness, or, as it were, more than John Rahm. No, nah, he is. He he's he uh, he gets it. I mean, he listen. He's very vocal. But behind the scenes, the Ryder Cup team, he don't like. You know, he 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 doesn't like what the European, you know, was these guys can't play. There's about two or three of them would be on that team that can't play because they're on, you know, live. I mean, behind the scenes, he probably he wants he really wants Sergio Garcia to play. Well, that ain't happening, uh, you know. And uh, there's a few other them, a few other them too. So, no, he, I think John Rahm's uh, he speaks from his heart. He pretty much calls it the way it is. And you know, he can't listen. He came to Brian Harmon's rescue when people were kind of like, eh. You know, he's, you know, he don't hit it far, blah, blah, blah. He careered it, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he came back and said, hey, guys, he beat everybody by five or six shots. He beat the field by six shots. I can't remember if it was five or six. I mean, let's give credit where credit is due. The guy beat everybody by six shots. He didn't fluke anything. So, you know, I give credit to him. He's a, he's a true – I think he's he's a great player, one of the best top five – well, you can argue it for whatever you want. He's the best, second best, third best, but he's definitely in the top three players in the world. Plenty of golf still yet to come. You mentioned the Ryder Cup. That's going to be held in September. And plenty of golf to be held on your show tonight, immediately following the final drive. John Rachetti's Miller Lite Golf Show coming to us 6 o'clock p.m. Central. Again, immediately following the final drive. John, how – and uh, are you on location? You mentioned you're on vacation. Will you oh, be yeah. on location? Yeah, I'm. Uh, we got. A, I'm. A, I, I'm on a vacay. We got a. Uh, we got a great cast of. Uh, Daniel be there. Ray Schuster, director of instruction for the Country Club of Mobile. A former standout Southern Miss, Matt Lorenz will be there. Bronner will be there. Nick will be there. He got the A team. We'll all be there. I'm just a sidekick. I'm on a vacation, but I'll be back in. They'll be at Felix's Fish Camp tonight. And I'll be back on action next Monday night. Got you, John. Always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend, and look forward to you, Lord willing, talking to you next Monday as well. I'm with you guys. You guys keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you guys next Monday. Appreciate it. John Rachetti.
joining us here for the Dan Hart LLC Engineered Products and Services Golf Segment. And we'll come back and we'll put a wrap on our number two here of the final drive. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And if you have not downloaded the free Sound of Mobile app, what are you waiting on? It's a free download to any Apple or Android device that you may have. And once you download that, again, you'll be able to correspond with us with all of our shows here on WNSP 105.5. And, you know, when you look at some of the action that went on this weekend I, I love watching a great boxing match of course I watched the rematch of Errol Spence and Terrence Bud Crawford this weekend on Showtime right and, and, and you absolutely see someone get punished from a boxing standpoint well when you see a little boxing of course in ice hockey you see folks go ahead and slug it out and have to sit in the penalty box for a couple of minutes and get punished. Now, you do that in the NFL or the NBA, you're going to be looking at anywhere from three to five games suspension. But Major League Baseball, we had us a good old-fashioned standoff, man, where you put up your Dukes, I put up my Dukes, Tim Anderson, Jose Ramirez went at each other and this is what they always tell me. Ooh. If you're going to fight, you better go ahead and win the fight because the loser <laughs> is the one when we were at school that always got taken to the office. <laughs> the loser is the one who got taken to the office. Well, Tim Anderson, of course, he is an Alabama native, went Tuscaloosa to school native. in Tuscaloosa. Well, you know, mama said knock you out. Didn't knock him out, but he caught a clean right hook from – Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson is going to be suspended six game. Jose Ramirez out three, six games to three games. Tim Anderson, man, you get six games and you get knocked out. It's a tough break for for Timmy. Uh, I, you know, I never saw the angle because the actual game broadcast doesn't show it of like who started what. I have to assume it was Tim Anderson. Uh, and that's why he gets more games, you know, and, and really he, he's also getting punished for, you know, losing the fight. But, uh, you know, <laughs> that's the most exciting thing to happen in the last 20 years in baseball. And, and I'll tell you what, the real hero of the day is that umpire, man, because he sees him going at each other and he looks like he looks like a boxing ref. And he puts his hands up and says, all right, you know, get out. It's like it's a hockey game. Oh, my God. That was awesome. So, so why do you think it is in hockey? You can get away with fighting 
versus the NBA to where you're going to be suspended more. Is it that hockey is more violent than the NFL? Of course, you don't think Major League Baseball being violent, but sure. I mean, six games to three, it's acceptable in hockey. You get put into a little penalty box and everything, you're not going to be suspending any games, but yeah. here it is. You're losing six games and you're losing three games for both of these competitors. Now, again, it was fascinating because both of them, what they say, protect yourself at all times well I, I think that tim forgot to protect himself at all times yeah he, he really he left that chin exposed man it was a late clock from jose because they both got some haymakers in and then yeah the last, they, they were throwing yeah they so were throwing hands it wasn't quite a two-hit fight you know no it, it wasn't jose a one hit a quit tim hits the floor it wasn't quite that tim got tim got a lick or two in there but uh Man, you know, you can't you can't get knocked out on the baseball field. That's a that's a tough look for it's Tim six, Anderson. And, and look, his teammates came <laughs> to his aid, but it was too late because my man was seeing stars. He, was he like had already been dropped. Man, he got dropped. It was a it was a clean shot. So he, he's gonna be having six games to sit and thinking about it. And and another another sport that, that I found pretty interesting. This weekend, did not know that this was a professional sport, Bronner. I, I, oh tune, I tune in to ESPN, and I see professional pillow fighting. Mm. Professional pillow fighting. And I, and I mean, there's a ring. There are two dudes in there, and they're swinging pillows at one another as hard as they can trying to knock each other out. And I, I just was like, man, this is this is this is real on ESPN. Were they pillow fighting? Were they were the pillows full of batteries, bars of soap? You, you, you would think that it was just feathers. They they played the lighter side. So they of were things. real pillows. Yeah, man, real real stuff pillows. You know, every time I turn on ESPN, man, I I I, I say. Man, why why is ESPN failing? I, I I just I just don't understand. Why is ESPN having to fire all these people? Oh uh, well, then you then you turn on pillow fighting and pillow fighting, <laughs> and professional pillow fighting. And it becomes apparent fighting. as to why. I, I mean, I, I thought it was entertaining. Never, I, I ne it was. I, I was. I was kind of. It's kind of like the professional tag. Have you ever seen the professional tag where there's a maze? I have not. And, man, look, they have professional like freeze tag. Like, you know, you play freeze tag as uh, a sure. kid? Well, yeah, like on the playground. Man, that's exactly what it's set up on ESPN, too. So two oh, things man. on ESPN I thought I would never see is professional pillow fighting along with professional freeze tag. Didn't think you would see those two things, but apparently, man, look, train them up right, and you can get paid to do so. The 5 o'clock hour coming up here of the final drive. Zach Blackerby, of course, will be joining us locked on Auburn. Look forward to talking with him and Zach Blackerby again, seeing what's going on with the Auburn Tigers. Of course, practice has started for them. They got a four-star commitment this weekend, kind of gone under the radar. We'll talk to Zach Blackerby coming up in hour number three of the final drive. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, 
Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to hour number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner. We have intern Tamarcus Lang learning how to run the board with us this evening as well. And again, this show is dedicated to Cat Certain. Again, everyone knew him at 92 Zoo, putting on the Sunday Jazz Brunch and He's going to be tremendously missed by all of his colleagues here at WNSP and 92 Zoo and the Crab. Here at 1100 Dolphin Street, we can't put into words the loss that we are suffering for his family and just continue to pray for his friends and family. And Cat Certain, just know that you're definitely thought about and, and you'll continue to be missed. And of course, on a lighter note, you can go ahead and get ready to attend the WNSP 30th Anniversary Fall Football Preview Party at Heroes right off of Hillcrest on August 17th. You can register to win a leather recliner valued at over $1,800 from Barrow Fine Furniture along with T-shirts and other giveaways. And we'll have special guests there along with our entire fall football preview lineup of talent that you can come and hang out with at Heroes Sports Bar and Grill on August the 17th from 3 to 6. And then, of course, Pigskin Pete will be taking over from 6 to 7, bringing you his Pigskin show as well. And, of course, our next guest has had an opportunity to see a Pigskin or two that has AU on it, the Auburn Tigers, at the forefront of our Monday evening discussion. We welcome in Zach Blackaby, host of Locked On Auburn, joining us. Zach, how's it going, my friend? It's good. Happy Monday to you, Corey. Absolutely, man. It's a sizzling and scorching Monday, not only here in Mobile, Alabama, but across the state. That includes the Plains of Auburn to where just like, you know, Alabama and Auburn both, all eyes are really on their not only their new coordinators, but their quarterback situation. And the great thing about Auburn is their coordinators can speak to the media pretty much on the daily basis. And and, and you can get a better vibe and feel for what's going on with the program outside of just the head coach. And the quarterback battle is one that Auburn's looking to go ahead and Coach Free said may go into game number three. Do you think that's possible for the Auburn Tigers? Uh, if, if he said that, I, I didn't. I missed that, Corey. Uh, I know he was asked, you know, if, if there would definitely be a starter. By game one, he said yes. Um, so that, to me, is kind of what I'm expecting. And, look, based off of the people I've talked to, I mean, it sounds like Peyton Thorne's the guy, which is what we all expect. That's what he's brought in here to do. But, hey, Holden Gariner uh, is not going away. It sounds like he uh, is holding on to that momentum that he picked up towards the end of spring practice. And he, I guess, used it all summer and now is – really throwing the ball um, with a lot of accuracy and poise this fall. So, I mean, it sounds like it's those two guys, and which is a little bit of a surprise to me. I thought it would be down to Peyton 
Florida Robbie Ashford, but you're not really hearing a whole lot about what Robbie's doing in practice, which is a surprise to me. So, uh, but no, I, I would be shocked if they waited three weeks to, to really kind of get the starting quarterback battle decided. Yeah, Zach, it's almost like uh, since Hugh Freeze has taken the job, it feels like he's gone out of his way at every turn to praise Holden Garner. And, you know, I don't think he's going to win this job, but. I mean, it does feel a little bit weird that we're sitting here in the beginning of August now even discussing that as a possibility, no? Yeah, and look, I mean, we're only given certain things, right? We, we see 30 minutes of action, and then when I talk to people that are there for the entire practice, uh, it, it's Peyton Thorne. It's Peyton Thorne. It's Peyton Thorne. But, you know, we don't really get to push that narrative because that's not when the bulk of the media is there. So... Um, it, it's gonna go. It's gonna keep going on. But when it's all said and done, I'd be shocked if it wasn't painful. I mean, it sounds like there's a sizable difference, a sizable gap between all the quarterbacks that are competing right now in fall camp. But a lot better situation that Auburn was in a year ago, and that's kind of the mantra of everything that Hugh Freeze has done up to this point is how much he's done in such a short amount of time. I mean. I think Auburn would be fine with any of three of these quarterbacks, which is a, something that um, Auburn fans haven't been able to say in a few years. So it's a deeper quarterback room. You know, I, I think the ceiling is a lot higher than it usually is when you look at Auburn quarterbacks, and I think the floor is higher too just because of the depth. So it's a, it's a much better situation that they find themselves in than uh, the staff did last season. Jarquez Hunter will continue to be the subject of and the topic for the media going into whether Auburn plays with him in game one or not. But I, I don't know if any resolution will be coming. You would think with classes and everything, go ahead and getting started that you would find, all right, well, we're going to go ahead maybe a three-game or a six-game. But how long do you think mm -hmm. it, will this be that big of a factor for the Auburn running back room waiting on Hunter to return? I think it's a big factor if he's gone off season, but I don't think that's a realistic option. I think we're looking if the if there is any suspension at all, you know, one to three games. I can't imagine it being a lot more than that. I also think it'd be convenient that he would come back, you know, before Texas A and M. I think that's going to be certainly part of it as well. Um, and you know, look, Corey. I mean, there's a chance that the resolution's already there. We just don't know what it is. Right? Sure. I think that's probably the best case scenario for Auburn. Maybe this investigation is done and they have all the information they need and they've already made the call, but we just will never know what exactly that looks like. Um, and so I was surprised when he wasn't out there in the first viewing session. And, you know, I, I'm a little surprised that he's still not out there, but they, it seems like they've made a decision. And, you know, that's why you always see Jarquez Hunter working out in these videos on social media away from Auburn University. It's, uh, it's been an interesting development. But as far as, you know, can Auburn survive three or four weeks without Jarquez Hunter, the answer is yes. Damari Austin's looked good. Jeremiah Cobb does not look like a true freshman that enrolled at the start of the summer. And they brought in Brian Batty, you know, a veteran uh, change of pace style back uh, from the University of South Florida. So, you know, they've got options. You know, you need more than those three guys, those three mouths to feed over the course of the season. You need that fourth back and Jarquez Hunter. But, you know, just to get through a few non-conference games, I think they'd be okay. Talking to Zach Black would be locked on Auburn. It's interesting to hear you say that you think a decision has already been made. I, 
what kind of timeline can we expect? Because Hugh Freeze is going to continue to be asked about this, and it's it's the same standard playbook every time, which you know I'm not blaming Hugh Freeze for, but you know we keep hearing uh, it's policy not to comment on university procedures or whatever whatever the copy paste line is. It's like yeah, but if we get three weeks from now and it's a week before the season, is he still going to be saying I can't comment on university procedure, or is a week from now they're going to announce a suspension and we can stop talking about it? I don't know why they would announce it. Um, I think they want to make it go away. And I just think, and I just want to be clear, I'm not reporting that there has been anything decided. I'm just saying it wouldn't shock me if they kind of had come to this. Well, but I, mean, I, 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 think, I think when you look at it, though, I mean, I just have a hard time imagining it lasting longer than three games. That's just my guess. That's just a gut feeling. But if I was Hugh Freeze and the Auburn program, I wouldn't say anything. I'd let him come back. I'd let him play. You get asked a few questions about it in post game, and you still say the same thing. All you have to say is, I'm glad Jarquez Hunter's back. I can't really talk about university policy, but he had a great game today or whatever that may be. And then it's done. The book is closed, and nobody brings it up again. That's how I would handle it. I mean, wouldn't announcing some sort of punishment, I mean, I guess that not announcing it, but like him being there, it just feels very weird. No one knows what's going on. The questions aren't going to stop until – at least an answer is given as to, you know, the question of when he is coming back is answered. I disagree. I think the questions have stopped. I mean, he got asked about it in his first press conference, and then he said what he said at media days, right? You can't comment on university policy. And, I mean, you're kind of in a situation where you can't do anything anyway. So I don't know. uh, Sure. I think they've handled it great, honestly. If I'm being 100% real, I think the way that they've handled it from a PR standpoint has been actually pretty good. I I can't argue with that. I mean, the policy is what it is. It's not going to change just because of what Hugh Freeze wants. I mean, he knows what he's dealing with, whether he's going to tell us or not. Of course, that's up to him. But if he's saying Mm -hmm. that that's what university policy is, then that's what it is. And I know that it is Hugh Freeze's policy to go out there and recruit his tail off. And he was able to get Jalua Solomon, four-star corner, coming from Mm. the state of Georgia in this weekend. And that kind of has slid under the radar for the Auburn Tigers. You look at, again, Big Cat Weekend and and Solomon waiting a week after Big Cat Weekend to go ahead and say, look, I'm a four-star corner, but I'm going to play for Hugh Freeze and the Auburn Tigers. So anytime you can load up on four or five-star recruits, now it's up for you to develop them. But once you get them on campus, that's step number one. Yeah, and the kid can play. The kid can play. And I think it says a lot about this coaching staff because all the attention was on K.J. Bolden, who you know eventually committed to Florida State about two hours after, um, after Solomon made his decision. But I think when you look at Jalewis, I mean, everybody was crystal balling him to South Carolina for weeks. And it kind of sounded like Auburn let off a little bit. But it just seems like, guys, and I don't know this, but it just seems like Auburn got word that they weren't going to get K.J. Bolden. And so they pivoted at the last second and made a full-court press. To, it wasn't a flip, but it might as well have been a flip to get you Lewis Solomon away from South Carolina. I just think that's something you know that just added to the resume of what Hugh Freeze has done as far as acquiring talent during his short time at Auburn. Uh, it just he continues to impress me as well as you know anybody else following Auburn football. You just haven't really seen stuff like this before, and so that's um, I, I thought. I thought Saturday 
was pretty impressive. And Corey, you're right, it kind of has slid under the radar. But that was, a, I mean, it's a big win for the Tigers. What was the level of disappointment, Zach, uh, uh, just in the general Auburn fan base after the KJ Bolden to FSU? Because I'll tell you, from my perspective, it's like, who he didn't go to Auburn, he didn't go to Georgia. I'll, I'll take it from the Alabama perspective. Yeah, yeah, I think there was some of that. I also think there was just so much shock that Auburn pulled off Jalua Solomon at the last second. And so it was like, okay, one for one, like, that's cool, that's fine. When in reality, you know, two months ago, you weren't in it for either of these guys. So, uh, and the fact that they were able to make a push for KJ so late in the process, I mean, all these other schools have been recruiting him since, you know, he was in eighth, ninth, tenth grade, and Auburn wasn't doing that because the previous guy didn't recruit. And so I think that was certainly part of it. Um, based off of the meltdowns that Auburn Twitter and Auburn social media typically has, it, I was shocked at how small it was. So, yeah, maybe it's because he went to Florida State and, and not Georgia. And that's fine. That's fine. And, hey, maybe Florida State will pop up in the SEC in a few years. Who knows? Well, Zach, yeah, you're right about that, man. My my geography lessons and just trying to map this whole conference realignment thing is weird and wacky, and, and it is. I mean, yeah. uh, Commissioner Sankey said, look, you know, the SEC is Oklahoma and Texas editions, and that's it. But geographically, everything else is pick a number, pick a conference, whatever you want to rename it. Somebody said Transatlantic Conference for a new name, and they're exactly right for, for a couple of these new decisions to where you're traveling over 1,500 miles. But let me ask you this. You have an opportunity to cover the student-athlete uh, for Auburn on a daily basis. And is it good for the student-athlete to not even be looked at or being asked uh, about decisions that are being made within their own well-being? What I mean from that, the expectations of having to get up for an 8 o'clock class after getting in at 4 o'clock in the morning after traveling across the country. Is it fair to these student-athletes? That's such a tough question because – now that these kids have the ability to get paid, I don't know. Like, I mean, if you work for a big company, you know, the, the, the decision makers typically, depending on what kind of leadership you have and the size, like you're typically not being asked that kind of stuff. And also these kids are here for three or four years. And these are decisions that are going to impact, you know, decades in theories, you know, worth of athletes. So I don't know if they're like necessarily owed that as far as, you know, they need to voice their thoughts and opinions. I do think communication would probably be good. I'm always for more transparency and communication from leadership. But as far as, you know, I, I get it. You know, the non-ref sports are really getting hit hard for all of this. They, yeah. they certainly are. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if they expanded non-conference schedules and shortened conference schedules in these non-revenue sports, which isn't good for the game, right? But you gotta you got to make sure that these sports don't go under because you're having to pay so much money to travel, you know, from UCLA to Rutgers is probably the most cliche example that a lot of people have said when talking about this. Yeah. And that stinks. Like, that really, really stinks for these kids. But are they owed anything because of that? Like, I don't think so. But I understand, like, the, the argument because they're the ones that are impacted by this more than anybody. And they're not getting any more money because of this, despite, you know, the, these teams that have ran off to the Big Ten or Pac-12, they're getting more money because of it. And it stinks. That's totally, you know, it's awful. And then, like, the, you know, the, the folks that are at Cal right now, Cal Berkeley, you know, they're playing, you know, men or women's golf. Like, 
they're not going to be Pac-12 athletes anymore. That stinks. Like, that's really, really unfortunate. But sometimes, like, your leadership has to make decisions, and that's kind of what you agree to when you join a school. And, look, the beautiful thing about all of this now is the transfer portal, if you don't like it, you can leave. Yeah. You can leave. That goes across all sports. And so I think that's one of the bigger arguments for it. If you don't like your situation or your situation changes, you can bounce. And I think conference realignment may be a reason that some teams or some players bounce and leave for other schools. Well, Zach, we hope you don't ever bounce or leave or jump in the transfer portal when you're joining us here on the show. Can't thank you enough for your time and all your 411 insight on the Auburn Tigers. And as we get closer and closer to the time where Auburn is putting toe to leather against Massachusetts, we'll really lean on you to get more information because you're our boots on the ground and can't thank you enough. And again, how can everyone follow all of your great Auburn Tiger coverage? Yeah, Locked on Auburn's available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, 25 to 30 minutes of Auburn-specific coverage every single day. Fall camp numbers have been really, really fun, so please join in on that. And you can find all of our written work. That's at AuburnDaily.com. Zach, I appreciate it, my brother. We'll see if the Braves can continue winning and doing what they need to do to stay atop that division. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Talk to you on Monday. All right. Zach Blackerby, host of Locked on Auburn at the Auburn Daily as well. And you can even find him writing about the Atlanta Braves at Braves to underscore today. The final drive will be right back after these messages. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach at South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, and intern to Marcus Lang, learning how to work and push all the buttons and get us on and off the air. So, Thank you very much to Tamarcus for coming in. And, of course, you don't want to miss the WNSP 30th Anniversary Fall Football Preview Party at Heroes off of Hillcrest. And, of course, there you can register to win a leather recliner valued at $1,800 from Barrow Fine Furniture. You can get some T-shirts and some other giveaways, so you don't want to miss our fall football preview party on August the 17th, coming to you live from 3 to 6 from Heroes Sports Bar and Grill right off of Hillcrest Road. So looking forward to that. And if you have not downloaded the free Sound of Mobile app, go ahead and do that to any Apple or Android device that you may have. And, of course, we've been talking about conference realignment today and I I just when you're down and you're looking at 2024 football in college football of course we have the expansion to 12 in the college football playoffs which is great but when you look at the Pac-12 disintegrating and imploding a conference that had had charter members since 1915 and now the ACC is looking to hold a meeting to add Cal and Stanford that geography it's just it just doesn't add up 
uh, to me. And I know the SEC, yeah, there are people from the ACC that I love to jump in the SEC. It's just not going to be now. Yeah, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to look back three years from now. You know, I think we're in a very – we're in a time of turbulent change in college football and have been for, you know, the better part of a year now. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to look back three, four, five years down the line and see ultimately what the result of this was. You know, are we headed in a super conference direction? It certainly appears that way. Uh, we'll see ultimately what the result is. I, the Pac-12 is toast. I think we can say that. It's the Pac-2 right now. So, uh, so you know, it's going to dissolve. I mean, it's a conference that's been around for longer than I've been alive. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden it just doesn't exist. It's, uh, it's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? What's going to change more or change faster? Do you think it's going to be the conferences or do you think it's going to be the NIL restrictions? Which one is going to get handled faster? Is mm. it going to be conference realignment or is it going to be NIL restrictions with the government and the politicians stepping in? Probably uh, conference realignment just because <laughs> because NIL has government and politicians stepping in just naturally means it's probably going to take long that's uh, generally how that goes. Uh, you know, once you get the politics involved, it's not going to be a quick process. So, you know, they love to take their time on things. So, But, but what does that say about, again, we're, we're based right in here in the Southeastern Conference, had an opportunity to sit down and have the one-on-one -on -one with Commissioner Sankey. But when you look at a conference imploding within three days and just disintegrating – is that a is that a lack of leadership? Because mm. the the Pac-12 had to have a commissioner. Can you imagine Commissioner Sankey saying, "Well, look, we're we're just gonna Alabama's gonna join the ACC, Auburn's gonna join the ACC. You know, the television deal's not gonna be steady. I mean, you have your you have the Pac-12 network. You you had the deals with Fox that were getting ready." To, to negotiate and that's probably part of the reason and part of the problem because that billion dollar television deal was not in place apple based subscriptions aren't going to put you on what washington's president says linear television they're not going to put you on linear television out in the pac 12 and that's why it did disintegrate but what does that say about leadership if you're a commissioner how do you let that happen under your watch yeah, I think Larry Scott is the one to blame on that. I don't think he's even the commissioner anymore. Uh, but I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he declined the opportunity to add Oklahoma and Texas, uh, which obviously, you know, see how that see how that kind of turned out. So, yeah, that's that's his legacy. Yeah, the Pac-12 certainly doesn't exist. Uh, they did. They weren't able to secure a TV deal when when that was. And that's why you see teams bolt. And that's why you see the two biggest brands bolt. Like, you probably could have salvaged it. And, you know, once UC USC and UCLA were gone, that was certainly the beginning of the end. Uh, and then, you know, they, they probably could have still weathered the storm and, and slapped something together, dragged in a couple Mountain West teams or something. That's and, what's shocking. Yeah. Mountain West is much more closer geographically to the Pac-12. You know, I'm surprised that they're not reaching that handout. That that lets me know what to think about the Mountain West and their, their linear television visibility and being seen as well. Yeah. It's non-existent. It's done, man. It's uh, it's done, and I, I just, oh man, what do you, what do you think about this new Big Ten? We're gonna see Oregon against Iowa on a 
on a Saturday afternoon. It's kind of cool. I mean, I listen. I, I don't I'm, hate I'm it. All, I'm all for again the weekly football matchups that you're going to have. But as far as looking out for the best interests of the other non-revenue generating sports, it's not in the best interest of those sports for certain or that those conferences that are being realigned. And that's what it boils down to. As we heard Eli Drinkowitz preach at the beginning of the final drive here and go on his three minute rant. And he hit the nail on the head with that one. And we'll hear from the Alabama offensive and defensive coordinators coming up here on the other side is we don't get a chance to hear from them often. So we'll get that audio in of Kevin Steele, and Coach Reese coming up here on the other side of this break on the final drive. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, the preseason coaches poll comes out today. Georgia with the most votes. Back-to-back -back national champions seeking that three-peat. The first time in AP history that that would be done. Michigan comes in at number two. Alabama at number three with four first-place votes. Of course, at four, Ohio State. Five is LSU, six Southern Cal, seven Penn State, eight Florida State, nine Clemson, and ten Tennessee. So in the top ten, you're looking at four SEC schools in the preseason coaches poll top 25. And, and that's not too shabby when you look at the SEC. But I think that with new offensive coordinator Tommy Reese, you wanted to see what was and what were his thoughts about coming over to Alabama, implementing a new offensive system? You had big offensive linemen that are returning, and you, you struggled on third down a year ago. And with him coming in, it was something that I know that he wants to make a difference of. And he said one of the most spoiled positions for the Alabama Crimson Tide was going to be the running back room, but you're not going to be able to get that third and one third and short if you're not getting the push that you need up front. On the flip side of that, Kevin Steele, he was talking a little bit about how shocked he was to be called by Nick Saban to even take the defensive coordinator job. And Kevin Steele chimed in on yesterday, one of the first times we'll ever be able to hear from Kevin Steele throughout the entire season. Of course, Nick Saban and his assistant coaches off limits. Kevin Steele yesterday at the talking to the media. Coach, you've been to a lot of places. You mentioned that. But to return with Coach Saban, what was that emotion like for you to get that call to come back? Uh, well, shocking. I, I did not see it coming. It was not something I expected. Uh, but obviously when you get an opportunity to coach at the University of Alabama for the best coach that's ever done it, it uh, it's uh, sometimes you look in the mirror and say, why me? You know, uh, but uh, very blessed to be here. It's, it's, you couldn't ask for anything better. If you're going to coach college football, to coach at the University of Alabama for Coach Saban, 
that's, that's what you want to do. Also, now you have Coach Reese looking at personnel. He had a lot to say. Alabama being spoiled in the running back room, and we'll hear from Coach Reese now. But your, the Notre Dame offense that you've been running over the last couple of years does look a little bit different th than what Alabama has run. How much freedom do you feel uh, to implement the wrinkles or implement the style that you want to uh, that you've been used to running at Notre Dame? Yeah, I think you know ph philosophically. You know, we always start with how can we win with people? How can we win with the people that we have? And how can we put them in a position to be successful? So any wrinkle is really personnel driven. Like these guys do these things well, or we're built to do this. That's what we want to focus on. And then, you know, we continue to bring the other parts along. Um, so I do think, you know, there's the freedom there to say, hey, we can do these three things well that we can implement into the offense and enhance it. Um, I do think, you know, we're probably going to look different than we did when I was elsewhere because our personnel is different. There's different strengths. There's different, you know, areas that, that we can take advantage of. So, again, we don't have, you know, a system or I don't have a system that says, hey, you have to fit into these squares. But you're the Notre Dame offense that. Well, Coach Reese talking about what he has to do. I don't know if there'll be a huge shakeup within Alabama's offense. And I don't know if there needs to be a huge shakeup within Alabama's offense. I know funny man, he always says, look, man, run the damn ball. And I think that you'll see a lot more of Alabama running the football. But I think that you're going to have. Truly being said, I mean, I'm not shying away from it, a game manager at quarterback for Alabama. And depending on what the personnel or the sets are, I mean, I think the tight ends will be used a lot more this year. I think that you'll have an opportunity to see, like you said earlier, Alabama not lining up in I formation, but being able to pick up two and three yards on third down to where you're not having to try to flip the field with your your punter all the time. Yeah, I loved what Tony had to say, you know, the high percentage third ones. Cause I, I don't know, even with Bryce Young under center last season, you never really felt super confident in the offense's ability to pick up a big third down. You never really felt like the offense full. 2021 was different. You know, Jameson Williams really changed a lot of things. Alabama was able to obviously 20 from 2020. It was still, a, I, I'd argue, a step down. Uh, for the offense, it's hard to hard to be a step up from the best offense in the history of college football. But that being said, in, in 2021, you know, you had that James Williams. And then in 2022, it just, you know, things never really fully clicked. You never really felt like, all right, like, even though it was Bryce Young, you just never felt great. It's like, oh, third and ten. What's Bill O'Brien going to dial up here? That's probably not going to work. They ran the ball on second and ten up the middle a lot, and that didn't work. And the offensive line wasn't great, and they couldn't run the ball for long stretch. I, th I mean, if you look at the Ole Miss game, the second half when Jameer Gibbs got hurt, you know, Jason McClellan kind of put up a clinic then. That's really the only example. And I guess the Arkansas game, too, when they finally pulled away, uh, you know, Milrow and Gibbs having long touchdowns in the second half. But other than that, like, point to me – the example of where Alabama dominated you from from the point of attack last season it just not wasn't there uh and obviously it starts with that offensive line we hope and think it's going to be improved this year if it's not I mean the offense is going to be a mess frankly uh I, I'm holding out hope it's going to be a lot better on the offensive line uh but we'll see yeah because it is going to have to be a 
game manager type at quarterback. I, I'm holding out hope that they'll get at least good quarterback play. But, yeah, I mean, we know they're going to run the heck out of the ball. I think that it is going to be a run-first mentality. And, and what do you have to do on first down? If you're going to run the football on first down, you can't give me second and nine or second and eight when you're running the football downhill. I need, you know, second and short and, and four, second three. and manageable uh, to where now you're not looking at almost wasting a down running the football. And I think that's where the offensive line cohesiveness is going to come into effect for Alabama. Now, flipping over to the defensive side of the football, I love the fact that Deontay Lawson is doing something that Nick Saban wants the quarterbacks to do, grabbing the bull by the horns. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing Deontay Lawson taking his opportunity to be a defensive stopper, to be that alpha dog, to be the man defensively, and he's taking and embracing it, and he's saying, man, I want to play on more than special teams. I want to be that difference maker. I want to show you that I'm capable of playing in the next level in the NFL. And by all means, I think that if he has a great season, he's putting his stamp and his mark as being one of the Alabama greats. Yeah, I mean – to get drafted highly out of Alabama. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. It, it takes, what, one, one great year, really. Uh, so we'll see what kind of season Deontay has. He certainly has just about cemented himself as he's going to be a key part of the defense. We'll see how, how well he does end up playing. I mean, I think Kevin Steele is bringing back an aggressive style of football. I mean, you say that, but they were probably overly aggressive against Tennessee last season. And, you know, Tennessee ran the Jalen Hyatt runs fast play again and again and again and again and yet they just couldn't adjust to it so we'll see i mean there, there's a lot of questions to be answered about this team i think this team has a much higher ceiling than last year's team which is crazy to say based on what we were saying you know in preseason last year i mean we were talking about could this be nick saban's best defense ever obviously that wasn't the case you know what kind of season is bryce young gonna have following up on his heisman campaign obviously the offense struggled uh, but I do feel better about this team. I mean, I think Alabama got served a little slice of humble pie last season. A little slice or a big slice. A big slice. I mean, they <laughs> needed it, though. They needed it, man. I mean, they, you needed to hit the reset button. We'll turn back the clock a little bit. We'll see what happens. Hopefully we can get some decent quarterback play, and hopefully we can dominate with an offensive line and be able to run the ball. I mean, because if not, it's going to be a long season because there's no Bryce Young to bail you out of the Texas game. And there's no Bryce Young to bail you out of the Ole Miss game. There's no Bryce Young to keep it close against Tennessee because any other quarterback for Alabama, Alabama loses that game by three or four touchdowns against Tennessee. Keep in mind, Bryce played that game with half a shoulder too, by the way. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's no Bryce, but there is a lot of really bright spots on this team. I, I do feel pretty good about – this team's chances to compete for a national championship. Well, competing for a national championship, again, in winning the SEC West is absolutely what is at hand for the Crimson Tide. And as we do look here to, to wrap up before we go to our last segment here, Alabama being in the polls at number three, would you agree with that preseason thermometer on Alabama? Yeah, I mean, I think that's about right. They haven't done anything to, to earn being being higher than that. Do I think Alabama is going to be worse than Michigan? No. Uh, but, you know, I, what, what, what has Alabama shown last season with the two best players in college football to, to 
deserve to be ranked ahead of Michigan and preseason. They have. Well, I will say this. The coaches poll definitely is not worried about Harbaugh roaming the sidelines for the first four games yeah. as that suspension well, we've talked about that schedule. is still being looming, but it's not going to make a difference as Michigan's still at number two. The final drive and the final break coming up. Again, the Saints have said we know Kamara is going to be out for the first three games. We need to bring in Kareem Hunt to back him up a little bit. I don't know if that's a, a great decision or depth, but Kareem didn't have an epic season for the Browns last year, so maybe a good pickup if the Saints decide to sign Kareem Hunt. We'll finish up this Monday edition of the Final Drive here next on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for having us tuned in and locked in on this sizzling and hot Monday evening. And, of course, tomorrow we'll be bringing you more Alabama Auburn, South Alabama football coverage is all these teams are in full swing for fall practice. And, of course, we'll talk a little bit more about WNSP's 30th anniversary fall football preview party at Heroes on August the 17th. That's the Heroes located off of Hillcrest right by the University of South Alabama. Of course, when you join us on the 17th, you can go ahead and have an opportunity to register to win a leather recliner valued at $1,800 from Barrow Fine Furniture. So make sure that you stop by and Come see the entire cast and crew that are working with us here at WNSP for our 30th anniversary fall football preview party at Heroes on August the 17th. The final drive will be broadcasting there from 3 to 6, and we'll have a complete roster of WNSP talent. And today we talked a little bit about conference realignment, and I, I know that I'm just confused about the purpose and the reason for conference realignments and the geography behind it. Because, again, you look at supporting the student athlete and especially their mental well-being and their physical well-being as well to where you're traveling 3,000 miles within a couple of days and you're expected not to have jet lag or expected to, to, to perform at peak performance. And you're talking about the golfers and the tennis players, the softball, the baseball, the basketball. It becomes a lot tougher when you're having to travel instead of 400 miles and being able to get there within an hour than to have to spend seven and a half hours on the plane to try to get to your destination yeah and, and it certainly is the most unfortunate side of this and drink what's we played the audio earlier you know he had a good take on it i don't think the student athletes were really considered we know they weren't consulted the uh you know were they considered probably not uh i don't i don't think these conference commissioners or these athletic directors you know they might they might say they care about the student athletes, but do they really? No. Uh, not, not really. So. No, 
I can tell you that right now. They don't they don't care about the student athlete and you just be honest and transparent. If it's about the money, then come out and say it's about the money. Don't say that it's not about the dollars and cents because it is. And to sit there and say that it's not to me, you're doing a disservice to your position as athletic director and or president or chancellor when you just not flat out saying, look, we're doing this for revenue purposes for our university because that's what it boils down to. It boils down to revenue for these conference realignments. Now, again, are some of the matchups going to be traditional? Absolutely not. But is NIL traditional? Absolutely not. So we're looking and moving into a new day and age, whether you like it or not. want to thank the wonderful guests who joined us today. Tony Sakalis, Tide Illustrated, of course, joining us along with John Rachetti, Zach Blackerby, Locked On Auburn as well. And, of course, immediately following us here on the final drive, you'll be able to get the Miller Lite John Rachetti's Golf Show as it will be on site at Felix's is what Rachetti told us. So, again, don't get knocked out because if you get knocked out in a fight, You'll have to serve a six-game suspension like Tim Anderson did versus Jose Ramirez only having to serve three. So got to be careful if you're going to square up in baseball for sure. But thank everyone for tuning in this afternoon and this evening to the final drive. And we'll be checking in again with you, especially tomorrow as here in a couple of weeks we'll be bringing back talking football on Tuesdays and of course on Thursdays we do have our Tide and Tiger report as we begin to approach the high school, college and NFL seasons check in with us again tomorrow, WNSP 105.5, the final drive Corey LeBounty along with my producer Michael Brauner want to thank Tamarcus Lang getting in here learning to work behind the glass today as well and again Make sure you check in tomorrow to the final drive. Don't want to miss the opening kickoff at 6 a.m. tomorrow as well. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.